This episode of Madison Story Slam, as is every episode of Madison Story Slam, is sponsored by Ale Asylum. This episode is also sponsored by Resolution Therapeutic Massage. Visit aleasylum.com and resolutionmassage.com to find out more. Welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted, here with another Story Slam episode for you. I'm sorry that we haven't had a regular episode in a couple weeks. I have been very busy. As you know, our new event on Saturday, May 12th, called Read It and Weep Show, is happening at Mr. Roberts in Madison, Wisconsin, and I have just been slammed getting ready for that. So if you want to come out and hear people read and share some great things that they wrote before graduating high school or things that they've written that they have at least 10 years separation from, come on out to Mr. Roberts on Saturday, May 12th. Doors open at 7 and the event starts at 8. We are so excited for that. Hey, real quick, this might be a longer intro than we normally do. I want to share with you an email I got from somebody who is a part of our community in a different way. Hello, Adam. I recently discovered your podcast through the Apple app and am so happy to have found this incredible community and collection of stories. I am a counselor, recent graduate degree completed, and am currently commuting to three jobs a week because, well, I live in the Bay Area in California and nothing is affordable, including my rent. However, my commutes have been made exponentially more bearable with your Madison Story Slam podcast. I often daydream while listening. What story would I tell? What would I focus on? Why do I want to tell it? I am certain there are story slams in this bustling area, but I worry I would not find such a welcoming and accepting community as you have worked to foster with Madison Story Slam. But I wonder... Do you know of any Bay Area counterparts slash comparisons to you, especially for a potential first-time story slammer? I was curious to submit to your Read It and Weep show, though I would not be able to physically present my story live, considering the miles. Best of luck with it all. Looking forward to many more listenings. Thank you for the work that you do. Regards, Amanda Johnston. Amanda, thank you so much for reaching out to us at our email. If you guys out there listening would like to talk to us, you can find us on Facebook. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Just search Madison Story Slam or go to MadisonStorySlam.com and click the contact button. You can email me directly and I will get back to you. It is so great to hear that our community stretches out across the country and yes, the world. I do hear from people all over planet Earth who do hear our stories and the things that you guys share. They are listening, and I'm so glad that you guys are so willing to share pieces of you at every single Story Slam that we do. It's always amazing to me. This music's about to end, but we're going to keep going with this intro a little bit. Maybe we'll have another little bit of some intro here. Ah, yes, there we go. There's some music coming up in the background again. But yes, so everybody's listening, and I'm so glad that you guys are participating I just want to say that I love doing this show for you guys. I love putting in the work. I know that I can speak for Ashley as well. I know she loves putting in the work. 
Sometimes, I will be honest with you, I uh, I weigh the pros and cons, and uh, you know, we have always committed to keeping our events free, to keeping the podcast free. We don't ever want to be behind what's called a paywall for podcasts. Uh, we want to make sure that you guys can go back and listen to every episode that you possibly could want to. Um, but that does mean that I am putting in a lot of free work. And if you want to help support the cool things that you're into, the best way that you can do that is to come to a Story Slam show and buy some of our merch. We have t-shirts, we have CDs, we have buttons. We've got a lot of stuff. And then another way, maybe you can't get out to a show, uh, but you still want to support what we're doing, you could head over to patreon.com slash madisonstoryslam. And that... Uh, Patreon is a way that you can support monthly things like podcasts and, and YouTube creators, people who do things for free, but you consume and, you know, you want to feel like you want to support them. So if that's you, head over to patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam, and you can figure out um, what to do there. You pledge money monthly, and then we've got some cool rewards that we are uh, giving to, to our pledges and uh, that helps a lot. That helps cover a lot of our expenses and things like that. You know, the dream someday, as Zachary Shea has said to me, he's, he, he said, my dream for you is for you to be able to make a livable wage doing Madison Story Slam and things like that. And I am believing that dream. Someday, I, I hope that's what happens. I, if I can devote more time to this, we can make it better and all that stuff. Okay, enough for me. These stories are from our April 21st event child's play so it's all about things we did as children and things like that and then our next story slam is saturday may 19th and the theme is redemption it's the last story slam that we're doing that the theme is based on a movie title and the movie title that we're using is the shawshank redemption but just the word redemption so come on out on may 19th that's saturday at the wilmar center and come tell stories about you know, being redeemed and, and ways that you have saved things and any way that you can take a story you have and make it fit into that theme, that's what we want. All right, I've said enough. I've talked enough. We've doubled the length of this intro. I apologize, but I had a lot to say today. Without further ado, here are some amazing stories from April 21st, Child's Play. Please put your hands together for Holly Ann Burns. Um, I hope you can hear me. I'm not used to speaking on a mic, but um, I'm very happy to be here and uh, go this way. Okay. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you, Adam and everybody. My name is Holly Ann Burns. I live in Madison and um, I was excited when I saw the topic uh, come up for this story slam because tomorrow is it would be my dad's 70th birthday, but unfortunately he passed away a year and a half ago, um, uh, four weeks after finding out he had pancreatic cancer uh, for post-surgical uh, post complications. So um, I really wanted to honor his name, and uh, he was a really big storyteller, and um, just because he was raised in a rural Australian town uh, called Bendigo. He had three brothers and a little sister, and they got into all kinds of trouble and adventures. And growing up as a child, I heard these stories um, pretty much all the time because we kept asking him to tell us them. And um, so I am uh, 
basically, um, he was just such a great guy. He was smart, he was funny, he was blunt. Um, he didn't sugarcoat anything, and you know, I miss him every day, but um, I'm gonna start with the first story. Um, and I'm going to be speaking as if I were him and just try to imagine an Australian accent because I'm not going to even fake that one. So, um, when I was quite young and in state school, Lionel Houston was my best friend. He lived next door in Neal Street, Bendigo. We called him Huey. In February 1953, we started school together. Our first grade was Bubs, that year preceding grade one but following kindergarten. On his first day, Poor Huey became lost and was found later in the girls' toilets. In Bendigo at that time, Cones was a homegrown soft drink company. The company sponsored an after-school radio show for children. We listened to the radio every night after school as television did not exist, at least in Australia at that time. Lionel would come over to our house where we listened together on 3BO Bendigo to shows such as the Cones Cobbers Club and later the Phantom. Percy Birdseed Chirpy, a garrulously gifted parrot, was the main attraction on the Cones Cobbers Club. By grade three or four, at age eight or nine years old, Huey and I were official Cones Cobbers. A competition sponsored by the show was to draw and color Percy. The winner, with the best likeness, was to get a brand new, full-size Willow brand cricket bat. It would be awarded over the air. I can still picture my brilliant rainbow-colored rendition of Percy. I sent my efforts in. A week or two later on the show, the winner's name was announced. It was me. Julie, on that day, I was invited to attend the, the station for the awards ceremony. I dressed in my best clothing. My mom gave me tram, tram fare, and I walked five or six blocks to the tram line to catch the tram. 3BO broadcast from offices on Paul Mall, Bendigo's main street. My father worked at Myers, a few doors down, and so I knew where to go. Arriving at the address at Paul Mall, I climbed the long flight of stairs to a landing to the 3BO offices. When I went in, the celebrity host of the Cobbers show effusively welcomed me, a man I later realized was also the voice of Percy. I was seated to await the live presentation ceremony, and then I was given the bat. It was a beautiful creation in pale willow wood with a green rubberized grip. It was very large, a full-size bat made for men. It came up to my armpit. I could not believe it was mine. After the ceremony, in a dream, I returned to the tram, clutching the bat tightly. Seated on the wooden slats in the tram, I was in disbelief to think that the bat was mine, also a little afraid that someone might take it from me. When I arrived home, I was beaming and excited as I showed it to mom. Although the bat was really too large for us boys, we managed to score hundreds of runs with it over many years in the backyard. My rendition of Percy owed a lot to the hours I spent watching my pet budgeroos, known also as lovebirds, because of their affectionate behavior with each other. These small parrots once flew in flocks of thousands from north of Bendigo to central Australia. For my eighth birthday, I had received a pair of green budgies. Dad brought a large wooden box home from Myers, and we made a door on the side and placed bird wire on the front. At night, I covered the wire front with an old Hessian bag. I loved to watch those birds. 
From the Bendigo Children's Library, I borrowed books on keeping and breeding budgies, and so made and placed a nesting box on the side in which the hen began to lay and then hatch eggs. I used pocket money to purchase more birds and increase the flock. A pair of blues and then a large bright yellow male paired with an albino female. Several additional breeding boxes were attached. Now, in addition to the green offspring from the original pair, the blue couple started to produce grayer versions of themselves and the albino's broods were pale yellows. After that, I had budgies for sale. One evening, a year or two later, I had about two dozen birds in the cage. The window to our bedroom was only 20 feet from the cage. I awoke to a commotion of frantic whirring, bird wings and angry chirps. A dog had broken down the wire, caught and chewed some of the birds, and all the others had escaped. The next day, I looked in vain all around the neighborhood for any of the birds. They had all escaped. The summer school holidays in Bendigo used to begin a week before Christmas and extend until the end of the first week of February, eight weeks of hot, dry weather. Children and their parents were often looking for things to keep children occupied. When I was 12, the Coca-Cola company built a bottling plant in Bendigo. It was halfway into Bendigo from where we lived at Flora Hill on the Spring Gully Creek, or at least I think that's what the official name of the creek was. We just called it the creek. The plant boasted a large glass viewing window. We could ride our bikes over there about a mile from home and watch the delicious brown beverage being squirted into the traditional six-ounce hourglass-shaped glass bottles. It was a mouth-watering sight on a hot, dusty day. My family had no money for such luxuries as Coca-Cola. Occasionally, for Christmas or someone's birthday, my father would bring home a crate of a dozen 26-ounce carbonated cones beverages. They were in assorted flavors, lemonade, the most common, but also lime, orange, lemon, or cola. Carbonated drinks were a rare, delicious, effervescent reserved for special occasions. As a means to expose a wider clientele to the delight of its product, soon after the bottling plant opened, the Coca-Cola company decided on a promotional event for January of the school holidays. Beginning at 7 a.m. and every hour on the hour until about 11 a.m., Radio 3BO Bendigo would broadcast at the location of the Coca-Cola truck. It would always be parked at a corner of two different streets. The truck would remain there for about 30 minutes. Any child who came to the truck during that time with an empty Coke bottle would be rewarded with an exchange of two full bottles. The first there would receive a crate of two dozen bottles of Coke. We would be, we would be up dressed and breakfasted every morning well before seven, our bikes and a bottle out and ready to go immediately after listening on the hour for the new location. Several of the neighborhood kids were usually with us, although we preferred to have as few as possible. That would mean less competition amongst us to be the first. If the broadcast location were within two miles, we would set off. This was a popular annual event for three or four years. Over that time, my brothers and Ruth and I scored a dozen or more crates of Coke and many pairs of bottles. So uh, there were so many other stories he told us about camping and snakes and spiders and being in scouts, um, and he was really into Australian outdoors and nature. So I have all these stories, you know, to carry with me. And um, you know, a year ago, my sister and I went to Australia for his memorial service, and we scattered his ashes in the ocean where he swam and the beach where he ran. And we told stories with family members, and it was really wonderful. And you know, I had a moment where I thought, "Wow, like." 
I didn't think my dad's story would end like this. We thought he had 20 more years or something. I thought, I thought the story, his story doesn't deserve to end here. And then I realized, you know what? His story doesn't end here. His story goes on with me. And you know, I actually, um, six weeks after he passed away, my husband and I discovered we were pregnant. And then when I was in Australia last year, I was, pr I was pregnant, very pregnant. And so, <laughs> very pregnant, <laughs> very. And, um, you know, through us, his stories will live on and I will tell my daughter all of his ridiculous adventures of his brothers and his sister. Um, and so I guess the only thing left to say is, I miss you, Dad, I love you, and happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Our next storyteller is wonderful, and she's very forgiving. <laughs> Please put your hands together for Margaret Keppel. All right, so this prompt kind of threw me for a loop because my mother's favorite thing to say is that I was born an old man. <laughs> I came straight out of the womb an old man. Um, and I know a lot of people say that, like, oh my god, I'm a millennial, and I just sit in my apartment and knit, and my cats, and I don't like people. That's not what I mean, like, I never acted like a child. <laughs> Apparently ever. I never cried in public, I never made a fuss, I was always really quiet, and I would talk to adults, and that's just her favorite thing to say. You're born an old man. Great. So, going from there, <laughs> I was already, you know, just not even a child from the very beginning. But I remember the first day that I learned that I couldn't trust anyone or what anyone said. I'll tell you why. We were sitting in my backyard. Um, I grew up on a farm, 13 acres. We had horses and everything like that. And I remember having a fairly happy childhood. I didn't feel like an old man. <laughs> Maybe I was. I don't know. Um, but we're sitting there. And you know how you sit on the grass in your shorts and the grass like prints into your leg, right? Like everybody knows what that is. You get grass imprints. You know, and I'm like three or four, maybe earlier than that. I don't even know. But we're sitting cross-legged and I like shifted. I looked at my knee and I had grass imprints on there. And I was a kid, you know, and I was like, oh, what's that? And my mom's like, you know what that is, right? And I was like, no. She's like, it's poison. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh my God, I burst into tears immediately. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. She's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not. But I was like, really, mom? You thought that was something you should tell a child? Um, I also grew up in a household where I, we weren't allowed to watch anything that was unrealistic. <laughs> I'm an only child also, by the way, so it's just me and my parents who are kind of hermits. For those of you who remember from last time, they still have dial-up internet, still, right now. Um, but we weren't allowed to watch anything that was unrealistic, okay? So no Barney, no Teletubbies. I'm trying to think of some other really corny kid shows that are happy all the time. Instead, we watched all of the fine, gritty crime dramas from the late 1990s and the early 2000s. All the Law and Orders, all of them. All the series and everything, all the CSIs, Without a Trace, Crossing Jordan, all those fine crime dramas from that time period is what I grew up on. Do you think I'm paranoid? <laughs> a little bit. Um, so the refuge, oddly enough, from this home life, which is very not childlike, was traveling. My family traveled a ton. Um, it got to the point where now when I travel, it's kind of just like one seamless line. Like I get on the plane, ride on the plane, get off the plane, get the car, whatever, drive to the place. Oh, it's slightly different. There's a cactus. There's a mountain. 
there's a palm tree. You, I don't like heat, so I don't usually go to places with palm trees. But um, it's kind of become that for me, where every, every place is, I don't want to say the same, but it's the same. Um, but my fondest memory of traveling was actually to Milwaukee. Um, I'm from Watertown, which is exactly the middle of Milwaukee and Madison. So in Watertown, you were either a Milwaukee family or a Madison family, depending on where the mall was, okay? So you went to Madison to go to the mall, East Town, usually. You went to Milwaukee to go to the mall. It was probably Brookfield, Mayfair, any one of those. Uh, my parents lived in Milwaukee for many years before they moved to Watertown, before they had me. So all their dentists were there and their doctors were there and everything like that. Um, so we were a Milwaukee family. And... Um, Brookfield Square Mall is where my mom loved to go. I actually worked there for two years because I have such fond memories of going there because I associated that mall with getting out of school. It's like, Margaret, we have to go to the dentist next Tuesday and I'd be like, damn it, get to go to the mall. Um, so the most playing I can remember doing as a child was hiding in the clothing racks and jumping out and scaring the shit out of my mom. She's very jumpy, she hates that. <laughs> so I would do it all the time. Um, and what prompted me to actually tell that particular piece of my childhood was that Bonton is bankrupt. I don't know if any of you heard about that. The company who owns Boston Store, they're bankrupt. They're done. They're shutting down. I got a letter in the mail about my credit card, and they like, cut it up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. So it's kind of been a little oddly heavy for me because I worked at that particular Boston Store for two years where I played around as a kid. Um, I don't honestly really have an end to this story, but it's just a bummer that something like a corporate store closing can trigger the lost childhood you never had playing in a bunch of racks of clothing. But there you go. Thank you very much. Margaret, you talked about not being able to watch certain television programs. So as I mentioned, I was a pastor's kid, and uh, this, also the son of a crazy uh, woman. And um, we weren't allowed to watch the show Doug. <laughs> so for those of you who are of a certain age and don't know what Doug is, Doug was a Nickelodeon cartoon about a middle schooler, his friend Skeeter, his love interest Patty Mayonnaise, who is played by the yoga instructor in Orange is the New Black. Some people are realizing that for the first time. We weren't allowed to watch Doug because on one episode, on nearly every episode, uh, he played a superhero named Quail Man which is a character who wore underpants on the outside of his pants. <laughs> Didn't care about that. But on one episode, Doug was left home alone. And he put on uh, the, that song, Just Give Me That Old Time Rock and Roll. And he, you know, did the thing from Risky Business where he's in a t-shirt and boxers and scoots across the floor. And my mom walked in and saw that and was like, nope. That is a young man in underwear. This is the devil's cartoon. We weren't allowed to watch Doug. <laughs> I'm still upset about it. 
Our next storyteller is short. Please put your hands together for Shauna Youngdahl. Such a nice little introduction. Ha, pun. Um, so when I was in second grade, my parents got a divorce. Don't feel bad for me whatsoever. When I was younger, I honestly thought this meant I would get fed twice more a day, once by my mom and then once by my dad. But then the startling realization came that that was not the truth and I was very depressed as a child. But this story is not about them whatsoever. So my parents got divorced and then they had to do that thing where of course they move and get their own separate residencies. And now one thing my parents did do besides getting a divorce, which was great for them, they wanted to do the best that they could for my older brother and I. So they got a divorce and then they also ended up getting, they ended up moving just about a mile and a half apart from each other because they wanted to make this transition as easy for my brother and I as possible. So they were living near each other. It was easy to commute back and forth between them. And then my mother, who had sole custody, wanted to give my father as much time with my sibling and I as possible as well. So what this meant was that my mother, we would be living with her, but after school, we would be going to my father's house. Now, while they were living just about a mile and a half from each other, my dad lived just across the street that cut us off from being in the same school district. So while I would be going to school in the school district my mom would be, in my, in my mom's district, my dad would be in a completely di different district whatsoever. And I know this seems kind of random right now, but it's kind of pivotal information. So this would have to be set up so I would be dropped off at my dad's location. So I was told by my mom and dad, just take the bus from my mom's house and then it would be set up with the school to have that same bus driver drop me off right near my dad's house. Everything would be taken care of, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So first day of third grade, wake up from my mom's house, take the bus, go to school, days awful, because first days of new schools, always effing awful, third grade sucks. So I go to the school bus, step on the school bus, take the school bus back to what I think I'm gonna be dropped off in my dad's house, and she takes a turn and then just passes my dad's house. And I start panicking, and I'm like, oh shit. She didn't drop me off, she didn't stop. She just keeps going. And now I'm a little third grader, I don't, I'm not gonna get up and start protesting, saying like, hey lady, you're supposed to drop me off right here, I don't have that kind of confidence right then, I'm like six years old, I don't know how to use my voice and my power, so I just let her keep going, and then eventually, she notices me still on the school bus, and is like, what the hell are you doing here? And I'm like, you were supposed to drop me off back there, and she's just like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, well... I, I get on at my mom's house and then you're supposed to drop me off at my dad's house and she's like, what the hell are you talking about? She didn't speak to me that way, but you get the gist. <laughs> and so we go back to the school, we talk with the administrators, administrators call my parents and this whole fiasco ensues that apparently what my parents told me was all set up and perfectly cooperated did not actually happen. And so I'm panicking, all this crazy stuff's happening, I don't have a lot of confidence myself and I hate confrontation, so I'm basically shitting my pants on the inside and I'm just like, what have I done? This has made me so stressed out as a third grader in new school, I don't need this bullshit. 
So it gets settled. For the first week, the bus driver just gives me this shady ass look, but for the rest of the year, it's easy. Fourth grade rolls around, and it's that first day, different bus driver, and I just know, I'm just like, is the setup gonna be there? Are we gonna be able to do this? Are we, are we cooperating? So this time I know, I gotta, I gotta say something. So I walk on the school bus and I look at her, and I'm like, do you know to drop me off at my dad's house? She looks at me, she doesn't say this, but she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, oh, fucking great, not again. And like I said, I'm not confident at this point. I have a lot of stress and nerves and anxiety for a fourth grader and a 28-year-old. And so it's just like, great. Now I have to deal with this bullshit again. And it's like not just having to deal with this, but I'm holding up the school bus probably like all of the school year. So then all of the, my parents get called again, administrators are called again, have to deal with all that fiasco, poop and everything again. And then that whole situation happens once again. Fifth grade rolls around. I'm growing into my own here. First day. Leave my mom's house on the school bus, that's fine. I'm not waking up earlier to walk to school, that's stupid. But school day ends, and I look at that school bus, and I don't actually say this, but I say, go F yourself. Because I know that if I board that school bus and I even try to say, Here's the plan today, lady or man, whoever's gonna be driving the school bus, and I lay out the plan from there's just gonna be shit. So I've already decided I'm walking home from school. My brother has left me. He's abandoned me at this point in time. He's not even at the school. He hasn't even bothered to take the school bus. He didn't, he, he, he knew to avoid this mess. He had been walking home the entire time he was at elementary school. So I thought to myself, you know what? I don't want to deal with this bullshit anymore. Why don't I just walk home from school? It's only like a mile and a half away. I'm a grown, independent female in fifth grade at this point. I can do this. The bus drivers are just going to give me shit. I'm going to cause a scene. I don't want to deal with that. So I walk past the school buses, and I start walking home. Got my little, I don't remember what backpack. Let's just say Power Rangers for the heck of it, because Power Rangers never go out of style backpacks. Still have one. So I'm just walking home. It's nice time. I'm feeling great about myself. Got a pep in my step. And I'm just feeling free. Going home. And I start feeling some raindrops on myself. All right. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I can have little raindrops on me. They're my friends carrying me home, like porpoises or whatever the hell that is that swim with you when you're lost at sea. <laughs> so I'm walking. I'm still enjoying myself, still feeling good. I know there's some song lyrics that could go with this, but I can't think of them right now. So I'm still going forward. And the rain starts picking up a little bit more. And I'm just like, you know what? That's OK. Mother Nature likes to make her way when she needs to. I can't tell her no. She's her own woman. Let her do her own thing. Then start keep going a little bit more. Rain starts picking up a little bit more. And I'm just like, this is kind of annoying. But keep on going. But then at that moment, as the rain starts picking up a little bit more, my body, the insides of my body starts tightening up a little bit more because I forgot right before I set off on my journey that I also really, really, really had to pee. And I remembered that I had to go to the bathroom, but I didn't because I'm like, I'm just going to take the bus home and I'll pee when I get home in five minutes. But I didn't do that because now I'm walking home. 
So I'm like, oh shit, my bladder's full, I gotta pee. But I can hold it, cause I'm a fifth grade, grown, independent, bladder holding female. So I start picking up my step a little bit more cause I really gotta pee and it's starting to rain. It's coming down a little bit heavier now and I'm just like, okay, I just gotta get home, we can do this. This is my new thing, Woohoo! I'm confident, I got it. And then the rain starts coming down a little bit more and I'm just like, go F yourself rain, but I didn't actually say that. It probably said go sock yourself or some cool shit like that. It's just, just keeps going, just keep going. Rain's coming down a little bit harder. I'm like, what the hell is this bullshit that I have to deal with now? And then uh, as the rain's coming down a little bit longer, my bladder's starting building up a little bit more and I'm just like, this is, this is not how I expected my first walk home to be. And everything's just getting a little bit, just a little bit more intense as my walk home is getting a little bit, uh, a little bit more difficult for me. And so the first school bus passes by and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. You do your own thing, lame nerds on the bus. I'm walking home. You can't handle this intensity. But then as I say that, my bladder is just like clenching inside of me like one of those high C uh, juice boxes that are as max capacity. If you tap it, that straw is exploding. <laughs> and I'm just going and I'm just like, holy fucking shit. And now it's pouring on me at this point and I'm just losing my shit. And I'm just like, okay. If I can't get home in the next two minutes, I am going to honestly pee myself. This is the worst decision of my life. And I just keep going forward and forward and I'm just start, I just start crying because it's just like, what kind of mistake have I made right now? I'm being poured on, I have to pee. Why can't the effing bus drivers freaking do their shit? Why is this my life right now? And I just can't, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. The rain is pouring on me. My bladder is at max capacity. I am crying. Everything in my life is dissolving right now. School buses are passing me and splashing water at me, and I have just had enough. I am looking at my surroundings. I am sad. I am frustrated. I am angry. I'm lost, probably. I don't know what to do, and I've just had enough. I'm done. So I say to myself, Shauna, you made this decision. I am proud of you. I literally went like this. I am proud of you. You can do this. Who cares that you're about to do this. You do what you have to do in order to get through this next walk. So I stop. I stop walking and I do a fifth grade spread eagle and I look up at the sky and I just start screaming my ass off and I pee my pants so nicely. <laughs> I just let it flow and it let it flow and it warms me so much. And I am screaming and I don't care because I am still strong, but in a different way now, a little warm and it is getting all over my legs and I am wet in a different way. And every and school buses are passing me and I don't know if it's mine, if it's my friends, maybe it's the bus driver being like, I would have taken you to your dad's house if you really needed F you lady. This is what I think of you. So everything just comes out of me. Let it all out. Let it free. I am happy. And finally, when I finish, I just look down at what I've created. And I think, I'm still so proud of what I have chosen to do. This is what I needed to do in this moment. And so I just dart on home, and I run into my dad's house. My brother's standing there, and he looks at me and says, why are your pants so wet? I slipped in a puddle. It's fucking raining. 
And I remember I just run up to the bathroom and I look at myself in the mirror and I still have tears just like stopped to my face even though there's like 10 different types of water on me. And I just look at myself and I look at my pants which is like nice normal rainwater, dark urination everywhere. <laughs> this is your choices. You're an independent woman. And I look at myself and I say, that was a good walk but we're taking the bus. And if you don't get dropped off at your dad's house next time, at least you can pee on the school bus seats. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's time to talk about one of our sponsors. Resolution Therapeutic Massage is an established massage therapy clinic in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, specializing in custom massages. The therapeutic approach is ideal for student athletes, traveling professionals, top performers, and anyone who needs their body and mind to be at peak condition. The therapists at Resolution will evaluate your muscle response and select the best technique for your tailored massage. Clients often experience relief from acute pain after one session and relief from chronic pain after three sessions. Packages for ongoing support are available at a discounted rate. And if you mention Madison's Story Slam, you'll get $5 off your first session at Resolution. So call 608-443-7048 to schedule your first session today and experience a therapeutic massage customized to bring relief from your acute and chronic pain. Relaxation, therapeutic, deep tissue, craniosacral, Reiki, and pregnancy massage are available. Thank you, Resolution, for believing in what we do and wanting to be a part of it. Now, let's go back to some stories. Our next storyteller is my dear friend Cole, so please put your hands together for Cole Seabold. Thanks, guys. So those of you who know me, including Adam, know I'm a pretty straight-laced guy. And uh, this was no truer when I was 18 years old. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, and I kind of was raised what's right and wrong. And, and I grew up with that good old Christian guilt, especially childhood Christian guilt. And when I would do something wrong, I would definitely, like, feel it and regret it and feel that guilt a lot. And so, um, yeah, like I said, no more than when I was 18 years old, uh, just fired up for Jesus and working at a Christian like church camp in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. And uh, this camp was pretty cool. It had uh, a lot of, uh, you know, fun activities. Like, you know, my favorite was the dodgeball, of course, and because I got to hit, hit the kids. But, um, but there was like a zip line that went like, it was 100 yards and it went across the river. They had cool cabins. They had just tons of activities, tons of fun things to do. And uh, I really enjoyed it in that way. So I was doing my thing, you know, molding minds and, and showing children Jesus and stuff like that. And, uh, and I first heard about it. And I was like, there's no way that's true. That is too good to be true. And, uh, and, you know, I'd heard legends of this camp, like legends like, uh, you know, like camp pranks and stuff, like, like poop in a box and, um, and uh, car in a pool and stuff like that, like things that like legends are made of. And like, you think of like the stories of camp and these are the ones. And I desperately, like, like 
really, like I mean it desperately, desired to be a camp legend. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm doing my thing. I am, uh, you know, molding minds and showing kids Jesus. And a guy named Eric walks up to me and my friend John and invites us to this amazing thing. Apparently, at 3 a.m., some of the dudes, only dudes, um, were going to the zip line. And a zip line, if you're not familiar, is one of those things you, like, zoom across on a pulley thing all the way across the river in this case. And they were going across the river at 3 a.m. And I was like, that's amazing. But they were doing it butt naked. And I was like, that's fantastic. And, uh, and there's just something, like those of you who have streaked before, there's something to doing things as dudes naked um, that is fantastic. <laughs> straight lace, straight lace. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, so here we go. So, um, so, so I couldn't, 3 a.m. didn't come soon enough that night. And uh, I don't think I got any sleep. And the kid's bedtime's like nine. So I'm up for six hours. And, uh, and just waiting till 3 a.m. And, and finally the time comes. And luckily I had a co-counselor who was watching the 10-year-olds. And, uh, and so I sneak on over. It was right below the nurse's station, which was like on platforms. So that's where they kept all the, uh, the zip line gear and such. And there were about six of us there. And there was one extra dude. His name was Cameron. And to this day, I just see him. I don't know what it was, but he had a heart of gold. Because he didn't zip line that night, but he woke up for some reason at 3 a.m. to just strap us into the harnesses. <laughs> and we're naked. And so Cameron's amazing, and, uh, and he, heart of gold, like I said. And so we, we walk about 20 yards or so to the perch. You know, you get up on a tree, you gotta climb a little ladder and get up on the tree to go down the zip line. The zip line goes all the way across the river. And so I'm like, I'm like, keep it together, Cole. Like, this is amazing. And I get to be like part of this thing. And I don't wanna mess it up. And so there were, like I said, there were six of us. And I remember Mike, this guy, this really hairy man, um, you know, and but yeah, like we're all like 18 to 22 age. So, but he's pretty hairy, this guy, Mike, and, and, and I remember that. And then Mike went first, John went second. I don't remember who the two middle guys were, but I do remember that I was second to last and Eric was last. And so uh, Mike, Mike hooks up to the, to the thing and puts his harness in the, in the pulley thing and, and he's off. And it's like the greatest thing ever. And... Um, and so I'm excited. I'm trying to joke around with the guys. And of course, they're all older than me. And, like, and I'm like the new guy. And I want to keep it together. Keep it together. Don't mess this up. Finally, John goes. The next guy goes. And soon, soon it's my turn. And I'm like, keep it together, Cole. And I hook in the harness. And they say I'm ready to go. And, and it's like pure glory. Like that summer 3 a.m. breeze. <laughs> And so it was amazing, but something actually, something went wrong. I don't know to this day what happened, but I was, it was either the fact that I was 140 pounds as an 18-year-old or um, that I might have accidentally pulled on the brake cord. But I stopped like 10 feet from the bank of the river. And it's a long river, but luckily I made it that far. And so I'm like, crap, like, this is great, like, let me, let me try to get to the edge. And then I suddenly realized that Eric is still behind me. 
and it's 3 a.m. It's like dark as can be, and, and Eric probably can't see that I'm stuck. And I start freaking out because like, like I am low-hanging fruit on this game of collision. And, um, and so, so I, I really start freaking out, and I think like, and then I start to realize I'm butt naked, so, like hanging over running water at the church camp, and I might go to the hospital tonight, and we might not have time to put my clothes on. And so it's all coming together, and the guys at the bank start freaking out as well. And so I, I, I was like trying to inch closer and closer to the edge of the, because I'm hanging over nothing. It's not like I can push myself off the river or anything like that. And so Mike got a, had a great idea, and it actually worked, but Mike grabs the, the zip line cable and does, like, grabs it with both arms and puts all his weight down on it while spreading his legs and doing a squat. And I, as, I, as I'm saved from potentially getting slammed into, I inch closer and closer to Mike's hairy body. And, um, but I made it, I made it. And so, so we get there and then you hear Eric starts to leave and Eric heads off and we make it to the end. We all celebrate our manly victory. It was an amazing summer. About a month after summer, um, somewhere in late September or something like that, I get a call from the camp director, and word got out. And uh, we were banned from camp (laughs) 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 from the church camp. (laughs) And so we were banned from camp for at least the next year and given a talk, and, uh, but you know, I mentioned that good old childhood Christian guilt earlier, and I, I, you know, I had obviously done something wrong, and there were normally times where I would um, feel guilt in these situations, but I still do not to this day regret what I did, because that year I became a camp legend, so thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Cole. (laughs) Our next storyteller is a wonderful person. He is a children's author, and his book is amazing. Please put your hands together, hands, for Ryan Hack. Very nice, very nice. All right, well, let's just get this out of the way, the elephant in the room. Uh, I was born like this, um, which, you know, it's kids is the theme, right? So I just kind of want to honor my parents a little bit and like just acknowledge the challenge that they had having a baby, taking me out, you know, to the store, to the park, to wherever, dealing with people staring and pointing and asking questions and having to explain over and over and over why their baby was born with a full beard, right? <laughs> like, yeah. All right, good night. Gotcha! Didn't see that coming. Like, oh, yeah, this is going to be sad. It's not sad. Don't worry, it's great. Um, no. So Adam mentioned the thank you for your service thing. And uh, so I was born this way. I was born with one hand. And uh, even when I, was a te- when I was a teenager, like, I would be places and people would be like, thank you for your service. And I'd be like, what? I'm like 13. What? 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 <laughs> What war was I in? I, I don't know what's happened. Like, 
Who ah? Is that what I say? I don't know. What's happening? I, I didn't, you know. So eventually, I was just like, you're welcome. I don't know. Um, is that offensive? I'm not sure. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I'm born with one hand, right? So they figured out I'm, I'm totally fine, and, and they gave me back to my parents. I have a normal, normal childhood, quote unquote normal. This is one-handed air quotes, whatever. <laughs> And uh, just do my thing, whatever, it's no big deal. My arm never really made a difference to me uh, growing up. The only thing I ever did was joke about it, uh, obviously. <laughs> like, that's not a surprise at this point. Uh, but I never thought about it, never really made a difference. And then uh, I was at actually Culver's this one night, uh, just eating dinner by myself, and this lady and, and her son walked in, and her son had an arm like mine, which was interesting, because I never noticed that before. I didn't, uh, I, I never really took uh, account of like how many hands people had, right? because most people have two. I'm like, oh, they have two hands, they have two hands, they have two, and two. But I noticed that he had one, and, uh, and so I'm leaving the restaurant, and the mom does that thing where she kind of grabs him and like runs after me and just stops, and we're all standing there, and she's just kind of like, look at you, you got You're the same, but you're old, and he's a kid. And I was like, yeah, that's true. What, I, what do you want? And so I'm like... So it seemed like a big deal to her, uh, and, and I was like, you know, if I can be inspiring just by being alive, <laughs> which is great, uh, I feel like I could be more intentional about that. Um, and so I kind of stumbled into this, it's called the Limb Different Community, which is a thing that exists. Uh, I didn't know about it, but uh, I'm a part of it. And, uh, and so I was like, well, how can I help? And so I started a, a website, livingonehanded.com, pretty straightforward, right? Uh, talk about uh, just living as a person with a physical difference and, and what that's like and my perspectives on things and, and whatever and started interviewing people that I thought were inspiring and started making ridiculous videos about how I do things with one hand. Uh, mostly they're just to make people laugh. Uh, the one where I, I show how to tie my shoes, it takes me like two and a half seconds to tie my shoes. The video's ten minutes long, all right? It's like nine and a half minutes of me being a complete moron. So I get it. I learned. I, they're shorter now. Um, but then I also wrote this book um, that Adam was talking about. It's back here. It's called Different is Awesome. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's based on a true story. One of my brothers, my brother Joey, uh, brought me for show and tell. Uh, so, yeah, it's a thing that happened. Uh, and so I just kind of sat there and they got to like ask me questions and stuff. And then it just evolved into whatever um, because kids are kids. And uh, I do remember this one kid was like, how did you get here? And I was like, I drove. And he was like, you can drive? And I was like, yeah, I can drive. You know what else I can do? I can fight. You want to fight? We can go fight if you want because, yeah, I can drive. Um, that was the only thing I remembered from that other than just being like, you guys are dumb. But um, so the story is basically it's, it's a retelling of that. Kid brings his brother to, to show and tell. All of his classmates get to ask him questions about how he does different things. And you realize along the way that each of the kids are different in their own way, whether they're tall or short, or they wear glasses, or they have a birthmark, or whatever it happens to be. And so by the end, you realize we're all different in some way or another, and that our differences are something to be celebrated, um, and our differences are what make us awesome. And so uh, a cool thing that I get to do is I get to go around, uh, travel the country, and go to uh, elementary schools and do assemblies um, for little kids and talk to them about how being different is awesome. And so it's not really an anti-bullying thing. It's really a accept who you are thing and accept people the way they are thing. Um, and it's great. I love doing it. Um, and, and it's amazing. If you've, if you've ever felt like you don't know what you're doing with your life, just go stand in front of like 300 second graders 
and just see how you feel. Because you might like it, and you might also want to not be there. Um, but I like it. Uh, and in fact, I was in this one place, and uh, I was standing. They just introduced me. I hadn't said anything yet. And there's this group, 300 kids, right? There's this little girl right in the middle, kind of on her knees. And she just goes, that guy has a weird arm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And all the teachers are like, what do we do? Do we throw something over her and pull her out? We, I don't know what happens now. And I'm just like, no, this is why I'm here, to tell her maybe don't scream things at people when they're different. That's like one thing I get to do. Um, but one of my favorite ones was uh, afterwards I, I do like a question and answer thing, usually with the older kids because the younger kids don't really know what questions are, right? And they say things like, my mom went to dinner with my pastor and told me not to tell her dad. Um, <laughs> which actually happened. <laughs> and I knew her mom and her mom was there and I'm just looking at her like. Okay, any other questions? Great. Um, but this one girl one time asked about uh, a prosthetic arm. She was like, did, did you ever wear a prosthetic arm or a fake arm? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. And I talked about how I had one and I wore one to like sixth or seventh grade, um, which was interesting because I switched schools from fifth to sixth grade and a group of my friends didn't know that I only had one arm and it was the fall, so I was wearing a sweater. And so the way they found out I had one arm was I got hot one day and so I took my arm off. <laughs> and just set it down, and they're all like, oh, that, oh, that guy just took his arm off. What's happening? Um, so we still talk about that 25 years later or whatever. Um, but yeah, so, so I do question and answer, and so we're talking about the prosthetic arm. So then afterwards, like, kids come, come up, and uh, they want to like, play with me or ask me to do different things or whatever, and this little boy comes up, just very innocently. He just looks at me, and he goes, yeah. My dad's actually a prostitute. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I don't I didn't say anything. I had no idea what to do. So I'm just like staring at him like okay. Uh and then he he follows up with and then he and then he just says but he makes mostly legs. And I was like, oh, so your dad's a prostatist, which is pretty different than what you told me he was. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't want you telling people what you initially told me he was. Um, but that's awesome, I love it, and, uh, and it was great. And, uh, and so I get questions like that, which are, are super fun. Um, but I, I have this one story that I always want to tell, but I never feel comfortable telling it to kids because it just, uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, so when I was a kid, I was in elementary school and I was with my cousin Danny. We're at McDonald's, we're in the playground area, right? We're outside and we're in that like round thing. You know, the, the thing you sit in, it's round and then you pull on the circle in the middle and it spins you around super fast. And like the only goal really, I think, is just to make you throw up. I think that's the whole point of what this thing does. So we're sitting there and there's these three little boys across from us and they're staring at me, which I'm used to, right? And, uh, and finally the kid in the middle kind of gets up the courage and says, what happened to your arm? So I look at Danny and we kind of nod at each other. And I'm like, hmm, 
what are we going to do here? So I look back and I say, what do you mean? And he's like, <laughs> out of all the answers he expected, I don't think that was the one he thought was coming. And so he's like, uh, <laughs> looking at his friends. And he just goes, um, well, what, what happened to your arm? Where did, where did your arm go? And I'm like, where did my arm go? I don't even, what are you even talking? Oh my God! No! No! We jump out of the thing. We just start running around, like throwing wood chips everywhere. I'm like, why God? Not again! No, where is it? We're like climbing up the Hamburglar thing, right? And like banging on the bars. We're just like, where is it, Danny? Did you find it? And so we come back and we're just like laughing. And then we, we realize they're gone. <laughs> like, we have no idea. Like, I have no idea when they left. Like, it was probably at the beginning. <laughs> but that, we, we weren't really about them. And so, so I'm just thinking, like, now as a parent, like, I have three kids of my own, and I'm thinking, I'm trying to think back, what was that like inside the restaurant when these three kids run back inside? There's a kid out there who can't find his arm! <laughs> Right. But nobody came out <laughs> like, where they're just like, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Do you have your toy from your Happy Meal? Let's, let's, we got to go. Like, what, what was that about? I have no idea. So in any event, uh, I, I just want to tell you guys, our differences are what make us awesome. Whatever makes you different is awesome. Embrace it. Have fun with it. And if you happen to find my arm before we leave tonight... <laughs> Just let me know, all right? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, you know what a prostitute and a prostitute have in common? They both have the potential to lend a helping hand. That's free. <laughs> you can take that. Our next storyteller is super wonderful. Every time that she has told a story here at Madison Story Slam, I have been blown away. Last month, her dad came and told the story, and it was wonderful. Please put your hands together for Gwyneth DeLop. So I grew up in a really rural, small Wisconsin town. And as a little kid, most of my friends lived in the country, so I didn't have a lot of people to play with, which made me very sad. But when I was around five or six, we got five new neighborhood kids. So I was very, very excited to meet them and become their friends. Um, and these kids were very different from my brother and I because they came from a very different household. They had things like a television and fruit roll-ups and a PS3, and we had things like Raisin Brand and books. <laughs> so um, we always really enjoyed going over there uh, and kind of doing our little cultural exchanges. I remember one year we swapped Christmas lists and they had a list of movies and my brother and I had a list of books. So we would do different activities um, with them. Like one time I brought them to a Harry Potter book release party at the bookstore um, and everyone wanted to go in costume and they all said, well, Gwen, you have to go as Hermione, but I didn't feel like a Hermione, so I went as Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, which consisted of like a, a paper beard and like a golden coat. And no one really got it, but it was really fun. Um, but we had five neighborhood kids to be our friends. The oldest one was an older girl. So when I wanted makeovers, I would go and hang out with her. The younger girl and I would play with dolls, but the three middle children were boys and I only really wanted to play with them because they were tons of fun. They played street hockey and nights and all kinds of things. Um, but as the little sister next door, I wasn't always welcome in this group. So I really had to earn it. Uh, and one year was the year of Lord of the Rings. We were all obsessed with Lord of the Rings. And I was a little too young for Lord of the Rings, to be honest. Um, like, I kept on asking my dad to check for Lord Sauron under my bed. <laughs> And anyone who's familiar with Lord of the Rings knows that that's like a giant tower with like a flaming eyeball. Um, and my dad would always be like, Gollum is much more likely to be under your bed. <laughs> and I was like, I just need you to look, please. Um, but we were really into Lord of the Rings. Uh, so that was the game we were playing all summer. Um, but I didn't always get to play. So whenever I did, I wanted to make sure that I didn't mess up so that I could keep playing the game. And one day, the neighbor boys were over, and we were playing Lord of the Rings. Uh, and we were out there with our wooden swords and our shields, having a good time. Uh, and then someone wanted to be Gimli. And Gimli is a dwarf, and he has an axe. But we did not have an axe, so we needed an axe. <laughs> and we knew where an axe was, but we weren't supposed to play with it. It was in the garage. Um, <laughs> and I was actually a very uh, rule-abiding child. Uh, but I was torn here because I wanted to keep playing with the boys, uh, but I knew we weren't supposed to be playing with the axe. Uh, but we got the axe out, and we brought it to the back of the house where no one could see us, and we're playing with the axe, and I feel like it's not going to go very well. Um, and I'm, like, standing there, like, not really engaged in the game anymore, and I'm thinking, like, I should really go tell Mom we're playing with the axe. And my brother's looking at me, and he says, like, if you tell Mom that we're playing with axe, you can't play Lord of the Rings ever again. I was like, Ugh. But I decide, I'm like, no, we, like, we've like, got to make the sacrifice. Um, so I'm like walking past the garage to go tell my mom that we're playing with Axe. And I, I hear the screaming. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And I, I'm like torn. I'm like, do I go back or do I go forward? Um, so I run into the house and tell my mom, Gimli has done something with the Axe. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, the Axe outside Gimli. Gimli is uh, our neighbor. Um, so it turns out that Gimli... Uh, chopped into its shoe instead of, instead of the log. <laughs> um, don't worry, uh, we went to the hospital, the toe got reattached. Um, <laughs> Gimli was fine. Um, but because I was the one who told on everyone, I wasn't allowed to play, well, I was allowed to play Lord of the Rings for the rest of summer, but I was banished to playing Eowyn, uh, who is the elf who like gives up her mortality, like she, her immortality, sorry. So she like, gives up her immortality to like be with this mortal guy, which never made sense to me. I was like, that's so dumb. You could just like be with him and then he could die and you could still be immortal. Um, but she didn't do that. Um, but it was okay. I, I mean, <laughs> we played Lord of the Rings for the rest of the summer and playing Eowyn pretty much meant like not being part of a game because she's just not there for most of the story. So like I got to come in at the end of the game all the time and be like, yay, <laughs> Middle Earth or whatever. Um, but it's okay because the next summer was like the skateboarding summer, which was filled up other injuries. But that's a story for another time. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.
That's going to do it for us today on the Madison Story Slam podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and hearing some great stories from all of our wonderful storytellers. Uh, A bunch more stories from our April 21st Story Slam Child's Play will come out next week on the show, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, be sure to go to readitandweepshow.com so that you can check out our new podcast because let me tell you it's a lot of fun yes we have the live show coming up on may 12th at mr roberts but we have had some people come in and read their old stuff in the studio and it's just been fantastic again that's saturday may 12th at mr roberts in madison wisconsin we hope to see you there uh if you're listening to this the day that this episode came out that's just three days away so May 12th. And then on May 19th, that's Saturday, May 19th, our regular Story Slam is happening. And the theme that night at the Wilmar Center is redemption. So come out on May 19th and have a story ready that is about redemption. And we're going to have a great time. Visit us at patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. And as always, I love you.